Hello, and welcome to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. I'm your host, Dave Polis, and today we're going to be exploring some of the tactics you can use to start creating a niche practice. Building an advisory practice from scratch is no easy task, and it's one that takes patience and fortitude, some introspective thought and internal drive, some education, and some dedication. Once it's up and running, how do you keep it going and growing? When the family and friends run out, referrals are tapped out, where do you go? Creating a practice serving just the clients you want to work with is the best answer for long-term growth. But how do you get there? In a word, effective marketing. That's two words. Joining us today is Dave Grant of Retirement Matters, Inc. in Barrington, Illinois, to share his journey with us from a generalist to a specialist, back to a generalist, and back to a specialty practice that really works with not one, but two niches. Dave earned his CFP in 2007 and started Retirement Matters as a fee-only RIA in 2013, specializing in helping Illinois teachers and corporate executives turn retirement investments into a workable stream of income in retirement. Dave writes a column for Financial Planning Magazine and has won multiple awards for his work as a consultant with financial planning technology firms. Finds it rewarding to work with younger advisors, providing them with greater expertise in retirement planning. Welcome to the program, Dave. It's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thanks, Dave. I'm glad to be here. You have a very interesting story and one with a good ending, a successful practice. But you had some experiences in the beginning when you were first starting out that were, shall we say, less than stellar at other advisory firms, didn't you? Uh, without giving out any names, can you tell us what your early experiences with RIAs were like? So before I launched my practice, I had experiences working at two RIAs for three years in both. And they were they're both very different. You know, one was a family-owned firm. It was <clears throat> the mother as the owner. There was a daughter and another advisor. And then they went through a buyout. I loved working there, but the growth perspective was just not there. It was a case of we will grow as things come. So there was no active marketing. And as a younger advisor, that that frustrated me. I wanted to get my chops in to try and get clients through the door and figure out how to do it. So at that point, I decided to find another advisory firm to work at that was actively growing and found one that was just down the street. And that was one that really embraced marketing and kind of charged me with go ahead and find your ideal clients and figure out who they are. Different culture. You know, they were a firm that was not a fee-only practice that I had come from. They were trying to be a fee-only practice, but had gone through a, an LPL shop there and then fee-based, then fee-only. There was a lot of culture mismatches in there. And so as I got to, you know, three years at that firm, I really decided, okay, I want to do this by myself. And I realized I am, I might be the odd man out here. Like I left one REA that didn't work. I'm about to leave another one. Why am I going to go join another one where the same thing might happen again? Let's try and do this by myself. <laughs> Those were both well-established firms and, and should have had a solid base of referrals and a good growth path. It just goes to show that there's more than one way to grow a firm. Uh, you said there was mismatches in there. Is that really what essentially prompted you to start your own because you needed to have a culture that was 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 reliable and, and one was stable and that matched your style? That's the nice way to put it. I'm a bad employee, I think is the right way to say it. Um, <laughs> I just, I found myself getting more and more frustrated with following directions that I didn't really believe in. And they weren't necessarily wrong, but they just weren't the ones that I wanted to take. So I think it's a case of, I had ideas about how I wanted to grow a business and how I wanted, wanted to run an RIA and no one's going to take my direction if I don't own the firm. So 
own the firm and then take it the direction you want to. I, I love that philosophy. <laughs> I think everybody's got to own it and be the boss to really understand what that means. Now, you developed some specialized skills and had some, shall we say, although it's not really technically true, inside knowledge and sort of ran with the idea that there would be one specialized lucrative line of business you could pursue. And uh, you went ahead and, and jumped right in with both feet. Is that correct? Yeah, before I left the RAA I was at, I started to understand, well, what type of clients do I want to work with? So I went through a, um, a couple of programs to understand who I best work with, what knowledge I have, what's my natural network, all those kind of discussions in my head and with other people, and realized that teachers is where I was at. You know, I'm married to one. My mother-in-law is a retired teacher. Before I emigrated here from England, I was going to be a teacher in England. And our social circle was teachers too. So it was almost smacking me in the face without me realizing it. It's interesting that there's those people around you and you sort of don't notice them until you connect the dots. And I think the trouble is, is people don't really look at teachers as an, an ideal market in air quotes. You know, there's no big rollovers happening there. They are pension heavy. They may have a retirement benefit. You know, there's not really much AUM work to, to happen there. But that doesn't mean there's no complexity there. You know, having you know, I'm married to a teacher. There's plenty of complexity there. And as a business <laughs> owner married to a teacher, my word, like our financial plan is more complicated than some of the executives I work with. I, I can believe it. Knowing knowing what mine looks like and, and what my compensation looks like, I'm not surprised at all. But yeah. you're right. They're they're branded sort of as, as low pay sort of plotters. Um, and you'd be surprised their lives look look far more complex than somebody who has plenty of money to take care of those problems. Yeah. And in, in Illinois, too, we have some very highly paid teachers. You, know, you can be a 10-year long-term teacher in a high school and making over six figures. That That is not out of the norm to be doing that. Wow. Um, so it's partly why we're in such a problem as a state with a pension plan. And that knocks on other problems when people come to retire saying, well, how secure is my pension going to be? And how do we go ahead and plan for that? So there's a lot of complexity just with Illinois teachers by themselves. So when you looked at that and, and you decided that was going to be a line you were going to pursue, that was really a long-term commitment because some of those pensions don't come up for another 10, 15 years. It was. And I, I went all in. Like when I left that firm and started my RIA, my branding, the first name of my RIA before I rebranded was called Finance for Teachers. So if you weren't a teacher and you hit that website, you left that website. There was really no reason for you to stay. So it helped people to select out of are you an ideal client for Dave? And so it became very easy for me to actually understand, okay, this is a teacher coming to me. I now know their problems already and I can probably start to work with them. See, that's fantastic. You tell your visitors right up front on your website who your customer target is and, and if you're not it, you don't need to stick around. You've saved them time, you've saved you time and you've gained some insight all in one shot. I think that's fantastic. What, uh, what other kinds of marketing efforts were you undertaking at the time to try and, and reach those teachers? A lot of it was content marketing. You know, as you start an RAA, you've got nothing but time on your hands if you're starting from scratch with zero clients. So a lot of it was understanding what problems I am finding in my own situation and writing about it. Writing is almost a form of therapy for me. I, I need to do it else I just go haywire. So I was writing a lot. I then started turning those into videos. I was then approaching school districts to say, I've got all this knowledge here. I am guessing you don't have anyone in your district who is giving this knowledge back to teachers to help them understand their situation without coming in with a product pitch as well. 
some districts were very open to me coming in and doing seminars with you know, a veiled disguise of, I do consult with teachers to help them with their situation, but there's no product pitches here either. Um, and that's how I started to gain some of my early clients. See, I think that's key. A lot of, a lot of folks think that they can just go out and, and do one element or another element and have it work. You attacked four or five angles all at once, all based around uh, and stemming from pieces of content you were, you were driving. Your website is then central to that, right? If you're, if you're making your own content to drive traffic, you've got to drive them to something. So that website's incredibly critical, isn't it? It is. It's the hub of everything. So my blog is there, videos are there, which are actually hosted on YouTube, but you get to it through my website. And then I've also got a place on that website where I've got backlinks to other places I've been quoted. So my website keeps getting pushed up the rankings because it keeps getting stronger from an SEO standpoint. That's fantastic. I mean, see, that's a very piece of, of technical skill and, and technical awareness that some advisors may not have. Um, and, and since content is the heart of your, your outreach marketing, you must have tried distributing it through social media. Tell us how that went for you and, and what you learned from that exercise. Yeah, so I would say initially it was trial and error. You know, I would start with Facebook. You know, of course, you got to make sure you're compliant with all of this, so make sure it's archived and whatnot. But I was sharing the content with friends who were teachers initially, and they were starting to share it with their network. I would then you know, look to LinkedIn, look to Twitter. I never went to Instagram. I still haven't gone to this day just because my target demographic in the teacher area is going to be older, and I want to make sure that I'm hitting them where they're at. But then once you've gone through that trial and error and you can see, okay, where are people coming from that have engaged in my content? If I'm looking at the analytics on my website, are they coming from Twitter? Are they coming from Facebook? Are they finding this organically through search engines? And there are some pieces on my website that hit with keywords. They rank above national magazines in terms of keywords, content area. And honestly, some of my content is driving the majority of my web traffic at this point. And it's, that's almost like a home run right there. You had a, a surprise there though. One of the pieces of content you put out, you didn't think was terribly on target and it's now responsible for a, a huge portion of your traffic, isn't it? Yeah. So when, so if we fast forward a few years, I went away from the teaching niche a little bit, you know, it was not driving the exact revenue I needed. So I needed to you know, generate some more content for more generalist audiences. So that's where I've kind of flip-flopped between the specialist and the generalist approach. But when I looked at the people coming to my website, a lot of people were asking questions about pensions. So I was working with a writer at the time and we decided, okay, for the next six months, let's really focus on hitting the pension topic from multiple different angles. We can link content between the website and really just gain a big knowledge base there. And one of the topics that we wrote about is do you cash out your pension and roll it to an IRA or do you leave it with the company and take the income that it generates? I have no idea how or why, because we didn't stuff it with keywords. We just wrote normally and naturally. And then that is now hitting within, you know, the top three or four searches on Google nationally. And that's probably driving between, I would say 1500 to 2000 visitors a month to my website, just with that blog post alone. That's terrific. We've, we've got a, a post on our site about um, gaining tax residency in Florida, of all things. And it's still responsible for almost a quarter of our traffic. And that was eight years ago. Wow. So it, this kind of stuff is cumulative and it keeps on giving. It, it's one of the best parts about all this. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Dave about website tech, uh, 
about how to make data-driven decisions like the couple that you've heard about and some distribution channels. We'll be right back. Are you an RIA or financial advisor looking to grow and scale your practice but feel like you could use some help? Feel like there are lots of growth options out there but don't have time to research them and don't want to make an expensive mistake? Want to spend more time helping clients instead of time-consuming investment research, compliance checks, or transactional work? If you answered yes to any of these, Pinnacle Advisor Solutions has the answers you need. With a range of outsourced options and top-rated professional investment management and financial planning support, Pinnacle has a solution that fits your needs, budget, and circumstances to help you scale up, grow your practice, or put a succession plan in place. For more information or to set up an appointment, call 201-919-4838. And we're back with Dave Grant from Retirement Matters. Uh, we're talking about websites and, and your marketing efforts. You're very prolific with your content. You write a lot of stuff. You mentioned before that you, you almost have to write as an obsession to sort of balance your, your, your psyche out. But not everybody's built that way. Uh, more is often more in content marketing. But is there a way for people that aren't really considering themselves writers to, to put out that kind of content and be where they need to be often enough um, without having to do it themselves? You mentioned you work with a writer. Can you explain how that works? Yeah, so a couple of good points in there that we'll tackle. I mean, one, yes, I like to write, but I could, when I go through a busy period in the business, I often don't have time to do it, or my cohesive strategy kind of falls apart and I need someone to back me up. So in the past, I've used a content writer and we design an editorial calendar together. She sends me over pieces, I add some technical knowledge, and then we post it. And we were probably doing, I'd say, two to three pieces a month on the website. Once she's written that, I would then repurpose that content into video. So I'm not reinventing the wheel. It's really one to two pieces of content per month, which then generates four to five original pieces of content that I can then push out on multiple platforms. The nice thing about video is you can splice it. So right now I do 30 second blocks of video from a bigger, say three to four minute section of video, but then I'm creating two different pieces of content depending on how people like to view video, whether they like short pieces or if they like very in-depth pieces too. That's, that's a fantastic concept to grip on. I want to make sure the audience get that. Repurposing content is one of the best ways to expand your footprint and not have to do any additional creation work, which is something we do around here. We'll repurpose blog posts. We'll make them into shorter snippets. We'll take pieces of the podcast and put them out as, as little audio clips. There's all kinds of ways you can take the one masterpiece you've written or, or produced and make it work harder for you without having to add any more expertise. Um, not everybody feels comfortable doing that. So working with a partner seems to be uh, one of the better ways to do that. If you can find somebody that, that sort of is on your wavelength and has your sensibilities for writing and editing, uh, please feel free to use them. There's certainly no crime in it. Nobody's, uh, going to yamp you for copyright infringement. That's your work for hire. So go ahead and use it as often as you need to. Um, if people aren't writers, can they depend almost consistently on an outside writer to do the job? Yes and no. I'm going to give you a nice non-definitive answer there. <laughs> it depends. I think when you're writing, you have to be aware of, is this writing in my own voice? And some writers are very good at picking up on, okay, so this person sounds like they do based on other writing I've seen. Let me adapt my words and now I can sound just like them. 
those writers you're going to pay a premium for because they literally are a clone of you in the writing. If you decide to pay cheap for writers, they're going to sound completely different to you. They may be inconsistent with wording and prose and tenses. And then you come up with shoddy work, but you paid less money for it, so it should be. So you do have to be careful with what writers you're picking. Do they have experience in the financial advisory world? Do they know our terminology? Do they know the type of client you're trying to reach? You have to do some research before you pick and decide to stick with a writer for a while. So those that not only is the words themselves uh, have a lot of power, but the word choices they make and the voice they use and the voice that you develop also has power. And it's also very important in how this all works because authenticity tends to bleed through and, and get traction and people that are sort of faking it, you can pick them out immediately. Some of the reasons you mentioned that they, they don't use the right terminology or they use them poorly, which is worse. And, and it tends to, to degrade your results. Now, content marketing is great for an information intensive business like ours, but it's not the fastest growth strategy. How long did it take you to start seeing results from some of these uh, articles and, and video content? So I think there's two ways to look at this. You know, one is, okay, so I've written this content and I've shared it. If you're reaching someone or someone shares your content with someone who it directly relates to, then you can sometimes get a quick hit from that content. But that is very rare to do that on a consistent basis. So you probably need to look at, well, how is this, how are these pieces that I'm doing, how are they performing organically? And that is really where you're going to get a consistent stream of traffic for decades after you've written that piece, provided it's evergreen, so to speak, and it's not relevant to just this year. But I would say when it was organic content, it would take me anywhere from a year to 18 months to get consistent traffic and leads from that content that I wrote. Right now, because that content's been out there for a long time, I have people who read something I wrote two years ago and come in the door but I've not refreshed that piece for two years. It's just very relevant to that target market. That's a very key concept uh, for, for our audience to, to grip onto as well. Not only is the time string sort of long, but you mentioned evergreen in there, and I think that's important. Uh, a lot of folks, especially the ones that focus more on the investment side than on the planning side, tend to write about what's happening in markets today or with stocks today or whatever in a very present manner. And they include statistics and numbers and this, that, and the other. Those things tend to date very badly, don't they? they they're not going to be what's considered evergreen content. So two years from now, you're looking at market conditions in, in an article that just aren't true anymore. That wouldn't be terribly useful for most folks. It's true. I mean, I think you have to, you have to think about your reader before you write anything. If you're writing about investment you know, news and, and terminology, chances are people aren't looking to try and read that. They want to read something that affects them personally with their current situation. So you can have niche evergreen content. So that's what I write. So right now I'm writing about pension changes that are happening in Illinois. Those pension changes go all the way through to 2024. So I have a five year window of all this content I'm writing to still be relevant and convert five years from now. Wow, that is long-term planning. Let's, uh, let's talk about distribution for a minute. And we've talked about writing and the power of the voice and, and the word choice. And so you've got these beautiful articles and lovely videos that run. How do you figure out how to distribute them to find the audience you need so that they can find you? So there's a, I mean, a couple of different ways. One, I do have a newsletter sign up. So people who are looking to get free information, they get that on a regular basis from me, whether it's written or video. 
mean, YouTube, as we've all heard, is owned by Google, so it's now a major search engine. And anytime you search something into Google, you may get a video pop of your content. I try and make sure that all the content I write is based around a question. And I title all my content as a question. So when people type something similar to that into Google and it hits one of those keywords in that question, then my content pops up. And that has actually was something I did probably three years in that started to really boost web traffic there. But I, I really you, you built the whole thing around uh, very common search phrases as questions. Yeah. And that's how some of my content pops. It's, you know, should I cash out my pension or take the income? That's exactly how the blog post is titled. So I'm hitting all the keywords in the question. That's fascinating. That feeds not only SEO, but other areas as well, because you're you're writing like someone would talk. Mm -hmm. And that's how they put their search queries in. <laughs> it's a very connected way to look at things. I think that's brilliant. And I think you've got to go back to, well, what is the what is your ideal client looking for? They're not looking for investment update for the third quarter. No one Googles that because no one actually cares. But they care about my company's going bankrupt. What happens to my pension? Again, if you write your article with that wording, then you're going to pop up. So really, a lot of this does come back to knowing the target market really well so that you know what's relevant to mm -hmm. them and know what concerns they have and know what jargon they use and all that stuff. It really all goes back like any other approach to really knowing the target audience well Agreed. and uh, being able to uh, connect with it and resonate with it on a regular basis. Some of the stuff we've talked about, some of the analytics and other things, um, sound like there were a lot of technical things to learn and figure out uh, on your own. Would What would you tell other advisors who may not be as tech savvy as, as you obviously are about how much time it takes to devote to learning these kinds of things? Can they outsource some of it? Can, how much experimentation is involved? Can they break it if they, they want to play with their website and fix things? Go on, talk about uh, the mechanics for a few minutes. Sure, I love that. Can they break their website? Yeah, you can. Be careful. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it really is trial and error. Like if you have Google Analytics on your website, you can start to learn what all these numbers mean and what these graphs mean. And all of that information is on the internet. So you can go onto YouTube and Google Google Analytics and start to understand what it all means by watching videos, reading articles, and then just start to monitor your website traffic over a period of time as you're putting out content. You know, I took a break this past summer from creating any content and was intrigued to see what happens to my web traffic. And it went down slightly because I wasn't pushing content out, but there was still a steady stream of content. I, it probably dropped by a third. So that told me that, okay, my content on the website is still converting into traffic. It just, when I'm actively creating content, I could expect my web traffic to go up by a third. So just trial and error, figuring out what the trends are on your website, reading, experimenting, asking other people questions too, who have got more experience. And then if they're willing, they can take you through it. Now you've got a, a tremendous amount of background and knowledge and all this after having done it for a while and the ability to, to isolate the fact that your content's good for 18 months to two years and to keep going, it's an incredible insight. Let's talk about the much bigger question in the back of everybody's mind. You've got all this traffic, you've developed all this content, you've got stuff out there. What are you doing to make the telephone ring or the email box ding to actually bring in a real client that pays money? Where's the mechanism for that? So on my website, I have a schedule button and that takes people through to my calendar and they can make an appointment. 
but at the risk of sounding arrogant, I am doing nothing more than producing content to get people to pick up the phone. That takes a lot of time and patience and confidence in your content. So this past week, I had a teacher right there. I know he's an ideal prospect if he meets some other requirements, but we spoke on the phone for an hour. He had problems that he had, and he read about the solutions on my website because I wrote about them and then said, I don't think I can solve this myself for my family. Can we hire you? What's well, the easiest close in the world? <laughs> so it's a case of just, if this is one of the strategies of creating content, making it very relevant to people, having an easy way for them to get in contact with you by linking your calendar through a, you know, a scheduling software to your website, and then eventually those appointments will start showing up. So really it's a matter of patience, residents, knowing the market and solving people's problems for them, even ahead of the close. I mean, you're not physically doing the work, but you're giving them the idea that this can be fixed. This can be solved and you have the expertise to do it. Right. And that's really the, the trifecta there. And it happens more than once. You know, th these are the type of conversations I have now with people is they will set a phone appointment. And I had one this summer and she wanted to actually meet in the office first, which is outside of what I typically do, but I entertained it. And she came in and said, I've looked at multiple advisors' websites and I have five questions. You've answered three of them based on your website content alone. I need you to cover one of the questions here for me and then I'll give the other one to research because it's kind of a detailed one. Well, if I'm three-fifths of the way there to closing that appointment already just by creating content, I'm ahead of every other advisor she's looked at. So this is a this is a no-brainer of a situation. That's fantastic. What, a, what a, an amazing story and something all advisors should be seeking to emulate because that's that much less time you spend prospecting and that much more time you spend in front of clients. I got to figure that's that's a winner for everybody all the way around. And what an organized client, by the way, to have five questions already set aside and ready to go as she's interviewing uh, possible advisors. How often does that really happen? I mean, they usually come in with sort of no idea what they want. Um, Again, that's one of the benefits of having a niche that you really understand. You know what their problems are before they get there. And and doing this by web and by content, 80% of most of the sales decision is made before they ever pick up a phone or hit a scheduler. They know you can do the job. They just want to make sure. Have you found that to be true? Definitely. I mean, I've had people come on the phone and after half an hour, they said, can you email me the contract? I'm like, you're aware this is a multiple thousand dollar contract. And they're like, yep. And it still blows my mind. I'm like, I wouldn't make a decision like this. I probably want to meet you first. But because of the specific problems I'm trying to solve with these people and not for everyone, they don't want to look anywhere else because they have been looking otherwhere, other places and no one else has been able to solve the problems for them. Like any business, you find a void, you fill a need and they beat a path to your door. We have just a bit more time. If you had to narrow it down to one thing, what would you like to have our audience take away from today's discussion that you really think is going to help them the most that they can put into practice right now? Think like your client. So they have problems that you should be aware of. And if you're not, then you need to start learning. But you have to direct your content and generate your content around those problems that they have. They're then going to find you based on those problems, understand very quickly that you can solve them. And like you said, Dave, beat down to your door to try and hire you. That's fantastic in any business, but for ours specifically, that's really where you want to be is understand the audience, know the client and think like them. Thanks, Dave, so much for those valuable insights. 
We've been speaking with Dave Grant of Retirement Matters about how do you develop a niche practice using content marketing to attract just the right types of clients. If you have any questions for us here on Four Advisors regarding niche marketing or anything else you've heard on this program, just drop us a line at fouradvisors at pinnacleadvisory.com and we'll get you some answers. You've been listening to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. I'm your host, Dave Polis. And until next time, thanks for listening. You're listening to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. This program is for educational purposes only, and the opinions expressed here by guests do not necessarily fully or accurately reflect the legal intent or nature of Pinnacle Advisor Solutions, Pinnacle Advisory Group, or its senior management. This program is not intended to give legal, investment, or financial planning advice, and opinions and statements made in this podcast should not be relied on as such. 